1 John 3 verse 2, I believe it is, says that um, there's going to come a certain point where we're going to see the Lord as he is and we shall be like him. That's a direct quote. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think it's fundamentally to do with the fact that um, how many of you know we've been created in the image of God? But that image has been flawed. It's like looking at a, a mirror that's shattered. You still see a semblance of the image of God in humans, but it's really, it's really been um, destroyed. It's, I wouldn't say destroyed as if it's completely gone, but it's been damaged. It's, what's, a better, what's another word? Help me somebody. It's been spoiled and distorted and corrupted. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, and, um, but there's going to come a time based on salvation being completed in us. You know, salvation's a process. It starts with justification. We talked about that last week. And then there's the process of sanctification where we're being changed to look more like God. And then there's going to come a point where, where, where we're going to experience what? Glo Thank you, Ali. Glorification, where we're going to be transformed you know what I'm saying? And the image of God is going to be fully restored in us. It's not that we're God, but we're going to look more like him. Amen. Hopefully that's helpful. Probably the person ain't even here today. You know, it goes. Are you recording, by the way? By any chance? You've already started recording. Okay. Now, I'm not sure if this should be on it, but we proceed nonetheless. So, welcome everybody. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here. And you've joined us, if you have, um, for the first time in a series that we've started a few weeks back on doctrine. It's actually called a, a little series of big words. And <clears throat> by way of introducing the subject today, let me ask you some questions. Actually, it's one question. What do these people have in common? Now, if you know it, don't shout it out, please. Carl, you mash up the, the thing, right? <laughs> If you do know, what do these people have in... Who's that? Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. Who's that? John Lennon. Cher. Steve Jobs, sadly passed away. And Malcolm X. Oh, you can't say they're all white, right? Not now. <laughs> right? You can't say they're all male. Right? What is it they, have, they all have in common? They were all fostered or adopted as children. Now, isn't it amazing how these individuals, in spite of a horrendous start to life against all the odds, had the opportunity to live a different life in comparison to how it started, right? And what made the difference? Adoption. Here's a definition of the word well, a couple second one is incredible watch this so adoption is the act of taking something on as your own adoption usually refers to the legal process of becoming a non-biological parent right okay i suspect we're all familiar with that listen to this now this actually blows my mind The English word adoption originally comes from a Latin word that means to choose. It's from where we also get the word option. I'm going to read that again. 
The English word adoption, ad option, originally comes from a Latin word that means to choose. It's from where we also get the word option. Often, <clears throat> abandoned children grow up with a stigma that leaves them feeling rejected. But this couldn't be further from the truth if that child has been adopted. A child that is adopted has been opted. Someone has made a determined, proactive, pro-determined option or choice to bring that child into their family. Really and truly, when it comes to adoption, this is probably the truth. I wasn't rejected. I was selected. With that in mind, shall we pray? Father, this doctrine of adoption has been suggested to be one of the most important doctrines, biblically speaking. Would you help us as we scratch the surface today of this wonderful doctrine? Especially, Lord, if we've experienced rejection, literally or metaphorically, and particularly because of what you provide for us, that is all humans, that you have set your love upon. Would you give us a revelation of what it means to be adopted into your family today, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. So welcome to week five in our series, as I said, looking at adoption. <clears throat> Last week we looked at justification, right? Justification, I should say. Adoption um, are wonderful doctrines that inform our salvation, right? Loads of shuns. Um, we have a whole lot more to come over the next 10 weeks. If doctrine is the big picture, these weekly are the details. If doctrine is the forest, how many of you know we're looking at the trees, right? If doctrine is the headline, the messages over the next few weeks uh, make up the small print, the important small print. So let's consider this doctrine of adoption. Edward Ferguson, with regards to backgrounds of early Christianity, um, the nature of adoption in antiquity says, quote, the person adopted at any age was taken out of his previous condition, all old debts were cancelled, and he started a new life in a relation of sonship to the new family, whose name he took and to whose inheritance he was now entitled. The new father now owned the adoptee's property, controlled his personal relationships, and had the right of discipline while assuming responsibility for his support 
and liability for his actions. That's a lot, right? <laughs> Harry said, wow. Now, this was in Paul's mind, particularly um, more than any other writer in the New Testament, as he writes about this topic. The, bib the biblical um, doctrine of adoption is God's gracious act of including us as members of his family, sons particularly, in his household with all the rights and privileges of our new relationship with him. Now, you notice I hesitated on sons. I'll come back to that. Adoption is a legal term, but it's also a relational term. And um, it's being born out outside of a particular family, right? Then being brought in to an alternative family, spiritually speaking. Um, it re refers to the state of being formally and legally declared a person's child who had never been a part of that family originally by birth, right? From that moment forward, the individual is treated and cared for as if they were a natural child with all the rights and the privileges of that new status. It's formal, it's official, it's legal. Now, first of all, let's clarify something um, before we look at the benefits, although this actually does reflect the benefits, specifically at least, of being an adopted child. So Galatians chapter four says, verse four and five, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now notice it says adoption as sons, right? Does that mean that if you're female that this doesn't relate to you? Amen. <laughs> My sister said absolutely not, no. Girls, this includes you. It's about status, it's not about gender. The son in ancient times benefited from all the family privileges in a privileged way. The term is, is patrilineal. You know, you've got meta and pater. Meta is mother, pater is father. It relates to the, inher the inheritance that comes from the father who bequeaths only to his male descendant. Now, daughters didn't historically enjoy these type of privileges. That's why it was always unfortunate for a woman to be single without children. You know what I'm saying? That was a problem. You know what I mean? And um, some translations with a desire to make it more gender neutral, because you don't want the women not to feel like they're being excluded, they kind of mess this up because it's supposed to be this way. So they translate the word children. It's not children, it's sons. And there's a difference. The NIV is fantastic because it says adoption to sonship which is really helpful. So the context of adoption, so in the context of adoption, ladies, don't be offended, you know what I'm saying, when the Bible refers to you as sons. Ephesians 5 and Revelation 22 say that we, right, <laughs> are the bride of Christ. So as a man, I don't get offended when you call me a bride. In similar fashion, ladies, don't worry about being called sons, amen? 
So it's formal, it's official, it's legal, and it's more than just legal, it's relational. Let's look at a list now of some of the benefits for those who are adopted into God's family. First of all, adoption is something that God does for us. Ephesians chapter 1 says, sorry, I got it on random transition, so the, the transitions are just going to be mad. Forgive me. Um, you're like, Robert, it doesn't even bother us what the transitions are like. <laughs> Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're like, wow, how can, you, how can someone afford so? That's, not, that's, 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 some, that's a serious level of blessing. Not some, you know what I'm saying? Every spiritual, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Notice, even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, my gosh, it's like, theologically, there's like, there's so much here. Suffice to say, um, I'm trying to identify the issue of God doing something for us, and I just use the second word in verse 5, which is predestined or predestination, another shun that we're not going to tackle this week. We're going to deal with that um, as an individual topic in the weeks to come. But this issue of predestination as it relates to us in terms of what God has done is massive. God predestined us for adoption, how? Through Jesus Christ, right? Fundamentally through his death and his resurrection on our behalf. Now, naturally speaking, how many adopted children have you seen initially choose their adoptive parents? Think about that. How many adopted children have you seen that you know choose their adopted parents, at least initially? Right? What would be the answer to that? Thank you. None. None. Like, the adoption agencies don't go to the children and say, hey, look, here's a book of parents that you can choose. Which would you like? Well, hmm. I'm not sure about them because they don't look like they can cook my kind of food. Uh, I'm not sure about them because, boy, the house don't really look big enough. Is that what happens? Absolutely, categorically not. The child doesn't choose the parent. The parent chooses the child, right? Now, maybe you know, parents sometimes, they will travel over land and sea. And they'll see a baby amongst others in a rusty old cot rocking. That baby don't know who they are, don't know where they are. Sitting in a soiled nappy, abandoned, unloved, unhugged. The parent goes searching for that child, right? And when they find it, what do they do? They set their love upon that child. Child has nothing to do with it in terms of choosing, does it? 
And it's absolutely clear from this text which comes first. In terms of spiritual adoption, it's no different to natural adoption. Verse 4, even as he, that is God, chose us in him, in Christ, before the very foundation. It wasn't even before you were born. That would be big. Before the very foundation of the world. I would argue that you do choose after you've been chosen. <laughs> Pastor Chuck's got this beautiful analogy. Pastor Chuck Smith, he was the kind of founder of Calvary Chapel back in the 60s, I believe. And um, on this issue of did God choose you or did you choose God? Well, it's, it's a bit of both. And he tells this story of you arriving at the doorway to heaven. And above the doorway, you know what it says? There's an invitation. And the invitation says, to whomsoever will, come. That's on the outside. And that's the doorway. And look, there's millions of people. And everyone's looking up at the doorway saying, mm, shall I go or shall I, shan't I? Mm, no, that's long. And the others will look at it and think, you know what? Sounds like a good invitation, you know. And they walk towards the door, step over the threshold. And when you step over the threshold of the door and you look back at the same door, you know what it says? Chosen from before the foundations of the earth. I think that's one of the best ways of trying to describe how this works. Because we do choose. But we choose after God has already chosen. And it's crazy because what would give you greater security? The fact that you sat down and you figured out, you know what, let me just weigh this up. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. Mm, let me go for Christianity. You know what I'm saying? And 10 years in, you hit difficult times. Can I get an amen? amen. You know what I'm saying? Well, if it was something that you opted for, you can be like, mm, maybe I made a bad decision. Mm, maybe this ain't really working out so good. But how many of you know, if God chose you, And in one sense, you'd be like, ah, oh, but what if I want to get away? What if I don't, if I don't want to be involved anymore? <laughs> See, this is where we begin to scratch the surface of God's incredible love toward us. And in one sense, you'd be like, ah, oh, what I'm saying, I'm not really feeling like I want to be chosen. But how many of you know when you're in difficult times and you feel very much like you shouldn't have been chosen, like I wasn't aware of just how sinful I actually was five years ago. Now, oh my gosh. I'd be like, why did you ever choose me, God? You know what I'm saying? But what security, you know what I'm saying, we experience when we know that God chose, God chose me anyway? Well, I'm not, if, if, you've, if you've never, if, if that don't really make no sense to you right about now, it will. And I'm telling you, it's one of the most wonderful things you could experience because you sit there with tears running down your face wondering why God still loves you. You know what I mean? Well, the doctrine of adoption brings great comfort in that moment. God chose you. It's like, it's like the Lord already knew. Imagine that. We didn't know how bad and sinful we were or are, but he knew, but he loves us anyway. I'm telling you, it's, it's incredible. It's a wonderful doctrine and 
and provides great security knowing that God chose you first. Like an adopted parent chooses a child out of the kindness of their heart in committed fashion. So who chooses you do? Who chooses? God does. Okay, so back to the main issue. That is a list of benefits of adoption. That's number one. It presupposes that God has actually acted on our behalf, on our benefit. It's something that he does for us. Number two, adoption presupposes that we are outside, originally, of God's family. It's bringing someone in who was originally out, that is outside of the family. John chapter 1, verse 10 through to 13 says, He, speaking of Jesus, was in the world, right? And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now, you know, at the beginning of John, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. The word is Jesus, and verse 14, he becomes flesh and dwells among us. It's God become a man, right? Jesus, the word of God. So he's in the world. The world was made through him, Jesus, yet the second member of the Trinity. Yet the world did not know him, didn't really appreciate who he was, Furthermore, verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice, to become, that presupposes that they weren't before they became, right? Who were born not of blood, it's not, it's not physical, it's not natural birth, nor of the will of the flesh, Right? Well, I'm going to determine I'm going to do this. Not of the will of man, but of God. You see that? So that means the whole brotherhood of man, the whole universal fatherhood of God is a misnomer. Yes, we are all God's creation, but we're not all brothers and sisters. My brother, my sister. It's funny, nowadays, like over the past 15, 20 years, I remember back in the day, like it was bruv. All right, bruv. Everything was bruv. You know what I mean? Whether you're blood brother or brethren or even like, you know what I'm saying? The man in the petrol station. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's bruv. And then it kind of transitioned. I don't know if you remember the transition where it became bro. I remember when the bro thing came in, it was like, what? That's an American thing. Bonda. You know what I'm saying? Man, don't, we're English. We're London. Bruv. And then all of a sudden it kind of moved and kind of morphed and like everyone's like, yeah, well, go on, bro. Yeah, safe, bro. And I think it might have had something to do with, I remember back in the day when rap kind of first came in, rap was American, you know what I'm saying? And you had um, kind of British rappers trying to sound like American. I have to admit I did it as well back in the day. But then um, I, I remember Pastor E from straight from back in the day. Nah, this is a London thing, you know what I mean? And I was like, right, you're right, bro. This is a London thing. So <laughs> I had to change up my twang. And, um, but it's funny because... We call everybody bro and bruv, but how many of you know not everybody is your brother? Not everybody is your, is, your, is your brother. Like, spiritually speaking, I mean, not even naturally speaking. And, um, and sometimes I have to catch myself um, when I think about this. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, we can, in terms of endearment, we can use them. But I only mention it because, you know what? I mention it lest we slip into, well, everybody's my brother. Everybody's my sister. You know what? Sadly, that's not the case. How many of you know, like, we're all the creation of God, but we're not brothers and sisters? How many of you know the angels are God's creation? Me and the angels ain't family. 
right? But they're created. So just because we're all created doesn't necessarily make us family in that sense, right? And this confirms the unity of the human race in that we're all supposed to, to respect one another. You know what I'm saying? Because we're all created in the image of God. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't take away from the fact that we ought to honor one another, whether we're your sister or brother or not. You know what I'm saying? But we're not all in the same family. John 8, Jesus speaking to the religious leader, leaders of his time, verse 42. Jesus says, listen, jumping in, right? Because they're arguing that God is their father. Jesus says, uh, I don't think so. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. Why? For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. You are doing what your father did. Oh, different father. And your will is to do your father's desires. Okay, I wonder what their father, um, this father of theirs is like. Well, he was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. You are doing what your father did. You are of your father, the devil, spiritually speaking, says Jesus. You see, two you see two different dads there. In Matthew 6, here's the contrast, and um, verse 7 through 9. And when you pray, Jesus now speaking to his disciples, right? He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, right? Because you've got a different dad, right? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. In one instant, Jesus is speaking about the devil as a father. In another, he's speaking about God as a father. Two different dads, right? <laughs> With two sets of different kids, according to Jesus. Adoption presupposes that we were outside of God's family, like these scribes and Pharisees, until we put our faith in Christ. Now, that's quite shocking, you know what I'm saying? It's a little bit like, you know, uh, the whole human race argument. Like, people be like, oh, there are different races. You know what I'm saying? There aren't different races. There's only one race. Man, I feel like I open a can of worms if I make my, ne my next statement. So, um, ignore that example, because I'm not going to take it any further. Okay. Amen? Amen? Amen. And those of you know, know. <laughs> So, <clears throat> adoption. Adoption, it does two things initially. It's something that God does for us. And then number two, adoption presupposes that we were outside originally of God's family, right? Number three, adoption provides us, that is those who are adopted, with the spirit of Jesus. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 to 6 says, But... When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, notice, his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has, notice, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, what? Abba, Father. Albert Barnes, he says, The Lord Jesus 
was enabled to approach God with the language of endearment and love so that so, so, so they would be, that is, others who would be adopted and brought into the family and become sons in a sense like Jesus or brothers of Jesus. He, right, Jesus being the true and exalted son of God, had the spirit appropriate to such a relation. They being adopted and made like him have the same spirit. The spirit which made them like the Lord Jesus. The spirit by which they were enabled to approach God as his children and use the reverent and tender and affectionate language of a child addressing a father. It is that language used by Christians when they have evidence of adoption. The expression of the warm and elevated and glowing emotions which they have when they approach God as their God and address him as their father. You know whether or not you are a child of God, been adopted into the family of God, as to the affectionate or non-affectionate way that you refer to God, you respond to God, you talk to God. Do you cry out to him affectionately? Notice the word is Abba, right? And that's Hebrew for father. And it's really funny because I know in, in different languages you have different words for, for father, right? Um, and, it's, and, and it sounds very much like the name of a, that a child would have for a dad and when, even when they can't even speak properly. Like, you know, mums and dads are always like battling for who's going to be called, who's going to, which, which one of the parents is going to be referred to first by the child. Say mummy, say mummy. You know what I'm saying? The baby's like, dada. You know what I'm saying? Or the other way around. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, but, but, but even when they can't fully articulate, mama, dada, abba. You know what I'm saying? It's like the fundamental way that an individual will refer to God, even in infanthood. Even when they don't fully understand, it's just, there's this, it's, it's like a baby on the breast. Like, the baby don't know, it, don't, it can't spell milk, but it knows that it needs to chew on that breast, right? Just, just it, it, it intrinsically knows that. You know? I'm, thinking about, I'm thinking about eating, isn't it? Chewing, eat, baby ain't eating, chewing. I didn't want to say the other word. I thought the other word was worse. <laughs> Why? <laughs> you know what I mean? But when, a, when a baby is, is feeding, when a baby is nursing, all right, praise the Lord. Amen. The baby, don't, the baby don't know nothing about nothing, but there's this involuntary, you know what I'm saying, like knowledge, wisdom to do what it does. You know what I'm saying? It's the same with babies. It's like, you know what I mean? My kids, when making a petition, they don't pull out their birth certificate, you know what I'm saying, to validate their relationship with me. They just bawl out, Dad! And I'm saying, I'm upstairs down, Dad! I'd never, I don't think any of you in here you know what I'm saying? Who ain't related to me? Maybe my wife. But none of you is related. In it. You're going to bawl out my name when I'm in the other room. None of you ain't going to do that. And it's not just because I'm a pastor. It's just, you know what I'm saying? You don't, you, 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 you don't treat people like that. You kind of have a respect for people. You know what I'm saying? They don't hit. But kids, by virtue of their relationship with it, they can get away with that. You know what I mean? They get, and, and they don't care. They're not asking no questions when they're in a predicament that it's going to bawl. And if it's not, dad, it's daddy. Right? They come, 
Where's, how many of you know children, they, my kids, they come to me boldly, right, to obtain help in their time of need. Amen? In the context of sonship, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, let us then notice with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Now, that's a, that sounds like a contradiction in terms. Like you think about someone exalted high on a throne. It's the, the last thing is you, you're going to do is approach it with confidence. Like just bop in there. Cause like, you know what I'm saying? Like, is it Prince Harry's getting married this, this week? You know what I'm saying? It's like even people, even esteemed guests, you know what I'm saying? I'm not just going to be like bopping up into, into, the, into the, the, is it, which church is it? It's not in London, is it? It's the one up Windsor. Windsor. You know what I'm saying? That people are going to have a, a certain etiquette. Like this, and not even just because he's the prince. It's because he's the bridegroom. You know what I'm saying? You're in an environment like that. Let alone the king. He's not even king. He's what, third in line or something? Oh, my gosh. Boy, are you English? Who said that? Oi. I don't know no English people that know anything about British history. <laughs> what? Go on. Go on, Melissa. He's just had a bait. The bro, did, did he? Okay. Is that William? Oh, yeah, he's got two. Is it two or is it three? <laughs> well, I confess, my, I confess my own ignorance when it comes to the royal family. Um, but getting back to the point. And th these ain't even no kings, like, on no real levels, like, back in the day. Like, if you, if you, if you look at the king off-key, off with his head. Have you seen that advert? Da -da -da -da. Here you are, king. Here you are, king. The king looks at the king like, yeah, dilly-dilly, everybody, dilly-dilly. You know what I'm saying? And this brother, and somebody steps up with the wrong thing. My man's down to the dungeon of despair or something like that. I'm like, it's like... Now, how do you compare an earthly king, you get the point, right, with the exalted king of glory, you know what I'm saying, who spun the planets into existence? Yet the verse says, we can come, that is, those who have been adopted into his family as his children can, can step to, the, to his throne. But it's beautiful because it's a throne of grace. That's the only reason we can step to the throne like that. MNP, Pete, you're here this week. Jeez, bruv. Yeah, bruv. Bless. Look, that we may get what we want when we need it. That we may get what we need when we want it. You see that? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help. And I'm saying, in our time of need. Let's have Bridget. How wonderful is that? You should, you know, there was a guy back in the day, he used to talk about meditating, and he says, there's certain verses you need to meditate until your meditator breaks. That is a verse we can be encouraged to meditate on, you know what I'm saying? The word meditate means to chew, you know what I'm saying? Like a cow does the cud, you know, chew's got X amount of stomachs, it chews and swallows and regurgitates and chews and swallows and gets all the nourishment out of it. See, but you're not going to do this unless you are a, an individual that's been adopted and experienced being brought into the family of God. And we do this instinctively. If we have genuinely been adopted into God's family, <clears throat> are there times when you desire on the flip side to cry out to God, but you don't? 
and you're actually a genuine son or daughter. And you don't because the devil deceives you in that moment, right? That you're not really a child of God. Like, you can't come to God about this. Like, I see you. I see what you did yesterday or last week. I see how you've been functioning. I'm saying, and then we believe that, don't we? Like, even the garden was deceived. Imagine the, the serpent says to her, um, What does he say? Was, Thank you, Bertram. He's like, Eat the fruit. You know what I'm saying? The whole reason that God don't want you to eat it is because the day you eat it, you'll be like God. It's like He's keeping something from you. What madness. It, like, like a couple of verses before, it said that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They were already like God. We're going to eat a fruit to make me look like God when I already look like him. You see, she was caught slipping, right? And, and that's what happens to us when we want to cry out to God and we feel like we can't, even though we're genuine children of God. And it might be because of sin, you know what I'm saying? But how many of you know, like last week, there's therefore now what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Now, Jesus didn't listen to the voice of the enemy. Remember, Eve was in the garden. Jesus was, um, was in another garden, wasn't he? Gethsemane. And um, it's funny because prior to Gethsemane, he was in the wilderness. And there's this whole comparison of Adam, the first Adam in the garden. Beautiful garden. Here's Jesus being tempted like Adam was, but he's in a wilderness where it's very unlike the garden. It's the, ex it's the opposite extreme. And he's hungry because he hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, right? And Jesus is tempted where you think, oh, like if you're going to tempt someone, that's the time to do it. And Jesus gets tempted, but he don't flop. Jesus doesn't, like Eve, forget the word of God. And every time the devil comes at him, Jesus just quotes the scriptures. You know what I'm saying? And that was his defense, because Ephesians 6 says God's word is the, is, like, is the sword of the spirit, right? Which is the word of God, which the spirit wields when you quote it. It's that offensive weapon. And um, hopefully this week will encourage you when you feel like you can't cry out to God, even though he is your God, he's your father, you can bawl out to him, Abba. And you don't have to be, you know what I'm saying, a doctorate in theology. You're a baby Christian. Abba. That's, and sometimes that's all you can bawl out, right? Lord God, help me. Lord. Be encouraged to do so. Jesus, again, in, in another garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was up against it, that's exactly what he did. You know what I'm saying? And we can also call out to God, our Father, like Jesus did in that garden. Imagine, imagine Jesus, right, being in a place where he was like, I can't do this. You ever felt like, I can't do this no more. I just can't do this. Imagine you can, like, you can, Jesus can identify, Jesus' Father, take this cup away from me. Yeah, not my will. Your will be done. And in that, in that moment of transition, Jesus is on his face. And that's what I think that's what we don't do. I know that's what I don't do. I'm confronted with a challenge, you know what I'm saying? And I cry out to God, and I'm like, Lord, I can't do this. And unlike Jesus, I don't get on my knees so there can be a transfer of power 
that then enables me to say, yet not my will, your will be done. You know what I mean? I just walk around saying, I can't do this. No, mad, mad, mad thing. You know what I mean? Um, we need to emulate our big brother, the Lord Jesus, in that sense. And, and, and you know why? Because God, like we just read in the verse, God sends forth the spirit of his son into the hearts of adopted sons. Wherefore we cry, Abba, Father. To some, on a fundamental level, the reason we cry out to God, involuntarily even, is because we are his children. Because he has given us his spirit. It ain't even, even that we're spiritual. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's by virtue of the fact that God has given us his spirit, which enables us, inspires us even, to cry out to God. Adoption provides us with a dependency on God that comes by the spirit. It's like, I say, if you're a child of God and I'm saying this, it just resonates with you. You're like, yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe if you're not a child of God, you don't really fully understand what I mean. But even if you're a baby Christian, you understand, boom. Yeah. There's a dependency that I, I have on God and that comes by his spirit. Number four. The fourth thing, adoption, it changes our status from slaves to sons. Galatians 6, verse 6 and 7 says, and because, notice, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, we just read. Look at verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I'm like, you imagine moving from a mashup, I'm useless, I flopped again, like, oh my gosh, Lord, like Abba, like Daddy. Oh, because of Jesus, please forgive me. You know what I mean? You move from that, like mashup, to, look at the transition in the ver from verse 6 to 7, if you like. Like, I mean, how do you describe what it means to be a slave? And even after we're converted, sometimes we're still affected by that, that stuff that we were affected with prior to our conversion, when we were not just children of the devil, we were slaves of the devil. Second Timothy talks about the fact that we were captured by him to do his will. That was our state. We'd be like, yeah, man, I'm a player. What? Like, it's like, like, I'm God's gift to women. What can I do? What can I say? I got, I got, to, I got, to, I got to meet the needs of those who are desperate. Like, you hear that kind of talk, right? It's like, this is how, this is how we functioned prior to our conversion. You know what I'm saying? If not literally, like verbally, you know, that was the inclination of our heart, men. Can I, uh, you, know, uh, you know what I'm saying? Fellas, that's what we was like. You know what I mean? And if, well, what I'm trying to say is, we thought that that was our idea. You know what I mean? And then what happens is in society, it's so consistently purported, it's like standard. Like, this is what it means to be a man. Like, I heard Mark Driscoll say, who can belch the loudest? You know what I'm saying? who can um, just do all manner of things that are associated with being a quote-unquote man that's nothing, you know what I'm saying, like being a man. And society reinforces our sinfulness. 
And we're walking around not knowing that we're absolutely shackled and handcuffed by the devil to do his, by our dad to do his will. It's twisted. It's so, we were enslaved. And, and this is why the gospel is so wonderful because it declares an opportunity for freedom. It's like an older and a younger. You know what I'm saying? It's a twisted relationship. You've got an older and they're looking after this younger. Dad ain't on the scene. You know what I mean? So who's going to provide for them? Don't worry, I got you. And it's not just words. It's some money for school. What, you need new crepes? 70 pounds. Go buy yourself a pair of Air Max. Like, but a pair of 95s. What, what they like? 100, what I'm talking about? 120 pounds. There you go. And take care of them. Look after them, quote unquote. But then at the same time, they're encouraging them to sell drugs. They're encouraging them to carry a, a gun for them. Or, you know what I'm saying? It's like encouraging them to go down a road that's harmless, harmful. The child, in one sense, they're like, this is wonderful. This is not wonderful. Because eventually, it's going to lead to that child's destruction. And then that child just grows up and just continues to perpetrate the same madness. That's, that's slavery. That's not freedom. What, what, you, I remember working in an adventure playground in Dulwich, Dockin' Hill, where Pastor P planted Calvary Chapel East Dulwich. I was in the adventure working there part-time at one point when I was studying. Just trying to make some extra money. And this youth bops in. It's like he was about 13 and it was 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what's this youth doing here this time of the morning? I was like, what are you doing in here? I knew the youth. I'm like, what are you doing in here? He's like, oh, oh, oh. I'm like, how come you're not in school? It's 11 o'clock in the morning. He's like, oh. I had a little moped parked outside the Green Gates, if you know the venture. And I said to him, look, you can't, look this is a madness. You can't, this. I said, you need to go to school and get your papers so you can make some legitimate papers. He's like, why would I want to do that? Look, and he went in his sock and he pulled out 500 pounds, rolled up. And he said to me, look, he said, why would I want to go to school? And the, the, that's long. It's 11, it's 11 o'clock. This is what I earned already this morning. The day's not even over. Work it out. Double that times five. That's what I'm earning a week. And then often I work on weekends too. That's an individual that doesn't understand that they're a slave. How am I going to commute? How, how do I get through to you? Amen. Thank God for the gospel, man. Because God is able to bring light where there's darkness. You know what I'm saying? And here's my point on this point. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. Which would you rather to stack riches in this life, you know what I'm saying, which inevitably is going to, what's going to happen? You're going to leave it behind, right? You know, you know what Job said? Job said, naked I came into this world. And guess what? It's the same way I'm leaving. Can't take, the pharaohs will tell you that. Right? Look at the pyramids. I hear man get buried in their Rolls Royce. What? What? <laughs> A lie? 
compare that to being an heir through God. Now, what does God like? Can you see the stark contrast? Slavery. It looks, it's shiny momentarily. You know what I'm saying? But that's the point. It's temporary, right? Can you see the difference between being a slave versus being a son? One is temporary, where on the other hand, the, one, the other one is eternal. Talk about a giant leap for sinful mankind, slave to son. Ephesians 2 describes it much better than I think I have been. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. See, it's not even just you're smart being dumb, right? You're following the course of this world. There's another thing that's inspiring it. Following, fundamentally, oh, your dad, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Remember earlier we talked about the distinction between God's sons and those that are not God's sons. And there's only two groups. Either God is your son or either God is your father or the devil is your father. You know what I'm saying? And that is true, verse 1 and 2 says, of all of us, even if now we've been transitioned into sons, right? Into adopted children. Because at once, at one point, we all walked in verse 2, in which you once walked as a believer back then, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. If it feels good, if it feels good, do it. It's YOLO. You only live once, so... And were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were slaves, if you like, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, where all the blessing was that we read of earlier, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's not something that we deserved. It came by grace through faith, which is what the verses will go on to say. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man or woman should boast. Can you see the new, elevated, exalted position that we get to enjoy? Pauper to prince. Guilty pauper to glorious prince. Ugly duckling to a beautiful swan, right? It's like slave girl to Cinderella. If you catch my drift. From children of wrath to children of God with an unprecedented inheritance. Now, this is Romans. This ain't Ephesians, right? Listen to Romans. Remember I said Paul seemed to get this better than anyone else. Romans 8, verse 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, which is one of the associated experiences when you're a slave, right? Can't sleep at night, even though you've got everything you could quote-unquote want. 
because you ain't got peace with God, right? But you've received, having been adopted, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Again, this is another chapter. This is another chapter in another book. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So the Holy Spirit not only inspires and enables us to cry out to God as our Father, Abba, He also gives us this internal confirmation that we are adopted children of God. And that's, again, this is another wonder. Because when we do feel mashed up and we do feel useless and we do feel like we're not cutting it, somehow, some way, God convinces us by His Spirit that we're His kids still and that He loves us. And we wrestle with that. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Look at what I've done. You know, it's crazy. You're created in the image of God. You can have a conversation. You're lying. <laughs> As a human, you know you can, it's, you can have a conversation with yourself. And you can talk yourself in. You can talk yourself out of things. Ain't that mad? And you're there wrestling with yourself, not knowing that actually you're wrestling with the Spirit of God. Trying to convince you that you're his. That's why you shouldn't be going down that road. That's why you shouldn't be going there. That's why. Look, and you went there and you got bun. Yeah, for real. It's, it's, it's God by his spirit confirming. You, did, you remember, remember that time when you was in that place of transition? I remember when I first got saved, yeah. Um, I didn't even fully know that I was saved. And I thought I was in the process of making a choice to accept Jesus. <laughs> and I said to my wife, I said, you know what, honey? I said, Tcha, I'm going to sell my records. Now, up to that point, I st- there's a couple of things I stopped doing. Football, I used to play on a Sunday, right? I used, to, I used to be a DJ. I was a postman, but I was a DJ. used to DJ in the nighttime. You ever heard of Rampage? Maybe you ain't heard of Rampage. It's too old. It's too old. But me and another brother started Rampage, a guy called Richie P back in the day. Yeah, me and him, it was only two of us at the time. And it wasn't like, yeah, we're going to create this great sound thing, this thing called Rampage. It wasn't even like that. We were just DJs. Used to play at some dive in Streatham. Helen, you remember, what was it, Ziggy's? Can't remember the, the nightclub. And um, so I used to play music in the nighttime and on a Saturday night. And then Sunday morning, literally, I would go football. So I'd come in with my records because it was vinyl back in them days. I'd literally ask Helen. We used to we semi lived together back then. I had a flat down at Oak down, down in Fulton Heath. She had a flat down at Oak Kent Road, but she'd stay over by me. I'd stay over by her. We're not married at this point. This is going back to the eight mid to late eighties, eighty eight, eighty nine. <sighs> Gotta get down to the gym, man. Hmm? <laughs> oh. I, I, and also, I'm still recovering. You know, I think I've been pushing it a bit too hard. Thank you guys for letting me go last night for car. I wouldn't have coped today if I didn't get out early last night. I put down my records, right, and I'd pick up my football boots because, you know, like raving all night, right? Put, and literally, Helen would be over there getting ready for church because she, she kind of got, um, she was hearing the gospel before me and she was responding. I weren't trying to respond. I thought I was already saved. I was like, you're Catholic. You need God. I'm, I'm Pentecostal. I'm good. Me and God talk. Look, there's my Bible. No lie. There's my Bible. Open. Psalm 23, on the side, I'm a lion, Helen, right there. I was convinced I was, so, but in my heart, I was being convicted because she's getting ready for church. But I pick up my boots and I'm going to clap himself to go kick ball anyway. And that happened for a few months and then the Lord apprehended me. Started going to church and 
That was cool. Everyone's like, okay, you're giving up football Sunday. Standard. You're a Christian. Standard. We understand that. When I said I'm selling my records now, how long had I been collecting music? Oh, my gosh. When I said I'm selling my, even my wife, who's proper on the way to being saved and sanctified, Holy Ghost, she turns to me and she says, Robert, don't you think you're going a bit too far with this thing? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I felt like, you know what? No. I feel like this is what the Lord wants me to do. You know what I'm saying? And I ended up selling my records. And it was crazy because it wasn't even hard. It was just, and I realized that it was God's grace at work in my life at that particular point. You know what I mean? And do you remember that time? You know what I mean? When you were in that struggle and you was like, I'd put on a tune like Midnight Lover. I know I've done it before, but it was years ago, so indulge me. Like, Midnight Lover. I know a man who only comes around at midnight. Bottom dum da da. He only look. He only comes to see me when everyone is out of sight. He goes home the next day, every evening at the same time. I know I can't be his and he can't be mine. He's my midnight lover. I was playing records like that. I was thinking, raw. I was listening to the tune. I was thinking, this is a tune. You know what I mean? But then I was like, raw. That's adultery. Make me hurt you now. That one don't hurt because that's a rare groove. Half of you don't even never even heard that tune. Let me kill you now. Me and Mrs. Jones. We got a thing going on. Sorry. You'll never be able to listen to that tune the same way again. What I'm trying to say is, uh, we both know that it's wrong, right? But it's much too strong to let go or let, let, right? In that moment, you know what I'm saying? When God was challenging me, speaking to me. By his grace, he came in by his spirit and enabled me divinely to be able to say, okay, no more. Now, I'm not saying you should get rid of your records. There's a lot of records that I got rid of that I bought them back on MP3 on iTunes. <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean? Like decent, decent ones though. Um, but I'm saying, I'm trying to say, do you remember that struggle, the initial one? You know what I'm saying? In that transition, when you transition from being a child of the devil to becoming a child of God. My question on the back of that is, <clears throat> what have you given up? Naturally speaking, you'd be like, Raw, you ain't, Robert, you're not ready for the list of the things that I gave up. <laughs> Naturally speaking, but eternally speaking, okay. Let's join with our brother Jesus because when we're in, adopted into God's family, we also can anticipate his inheritance. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We get to join with Jesus in becoming an heir to, I mean, what does God own? I mean, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's. Now, that's a good start, isn't it? Imagine people are killing themselves over millimeter square footage. You know what I'm saying? You get to inherit the earth. The only thing is God ain't going to die. So in a sense, it's kind of like a madness. But it's like, it's yours. You know what I'm the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth. You know what I'm saying? What doesn't Jesus own? So one of the things that's associated with this, as we're getting ready to look at the last point, Fellow heirs with Christ. 
fellow heirs with Christ. Verse 17 goes on to say, and 18, and if children and heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, with an exception, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And that's really helpful because it says when you forfeit all of that stuff that you could have, because you can have it, the devil will get to you. You know what I mean? He'll make this happen. But when you forfeit all of that, part of what comes associated with that now is suffering. Part of the suffering is not having it because who don't want it? Come on now, don't lie. Who don't want it? I want it. You know what I mean? But to say no to it means now I'm going to suffer. Part of my suffering is not having what I wanted, but then also a part of my suffering is continuing to walk that narrow way as opposed to the broad. The broad way, you can skip down the broad way. You know what I mean? This broad way, hey. But the narrow way, it's a hard walk. You know what I mean? And it's, 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 it's marked with suffering. You know what I mean? Yeah, can I encourage you? Because if you find yourself experiencing that suffering, that's a part of you identifying as a child, as a son, as an adopted member of God's family. And the promise is that you will also be glorified with him. My point is there's no crown without a cross. Paul says in Acts 14 that it is through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. Which leads us nicely to our fifth and final point. Adoption, which is what we're talking about. It also provides loving discipline. Ouch. Hebrews 5. Hebrews 12, sorry. Verse 5 to 8 says... And have you forgotten, if it weren't hard enough, like with the whole suffering thing and not getting what we fleshly, carnally desire, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary. Yay. That's how we should respond. But, and that's not how you respond when you're in trouble and discipline is coming your way. Is that isn't it, Courtney? <laughs> not you. I'm not talking about... Yeah. Mm. For the Lord, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and chastises. Notice, not some sons or children, every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Have we got a parent in? We got a parent in seminar coming up soon, right? We need parent in seminars to teach us what it really means to parent, especially in the day and age that we're living in. Um, it's tough being a parent. You know what I mean? That's 25 years of parenting right there. One statement, you know. If only I could unpack that. It's tough being a parent. And um, it's tough being a good parent. Now, that takes it to another level. It's one thing being a parent. It's another thing being a good parent. But God is the perfect example of the perfect parent. Verse 7, it is for discipline. This is a part of being a child of God. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And that's a part of the, that's a part, that's one of the reasons why we've got so many problems in our society. Because there's a real glut, a lack of dads in situ to discipline their kids, especially their boys. Not that the girls are excluded, you know what I mean? And um, that's one of the reasons we're seeing what we're seeing. 
Because dad will, you know what I'm saying, again, so much to say. Verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now, this is a father speaking, if you like, to a son, right? No son or daughter is exempt. Verse 6, every single child. This is the normal, well-balanced responsibility of a father. Verse 7, God is treating you as sons. Surely discipline is only to be expected. I remember growing up and, oh my gosh, like, you know, you go shopping with your mum back in the day. Can't get away with this now, but going shopping back in the day and I go to reach for something. Like I, wanna, like I want sweetie or I want this. My mum just give me that look. She don't even open her mouth. That, and the look says, touch it. <laughs> if you're bad, touch I will execute you. <laughs> right? But you know what's mad? And, I, and there was times when I, oh my gosh. You know when you're seething with anger because it's just unfair. In your little mind, it's unfair. Like I can't have Twix or whatever. You know what I mean? But I remember one time being in a house where a child, their mum disciplined them and they turned around and called them. They said, ah, you don't let me do anything. You're a pig. Dot, 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 dot. You come to a point now as an adult, and how many of you know? You know, I was with my mum yesterday. I looked at my mum. My mum's 83. I looked at my mum and I thought, mum, I love you so much. You know what I mean? Despite those days when I, when I had to run from the, 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 the saucepan. <laughs> Talk about project. You ever tried to duck from such a projectile? You know what I mean? I'm like, but I look at mum, and I'm like, I'm a big man now, innit? It's like, it's like sometimes kids, they just don't, they're not going to, you're wasting your breath trying to convince them. When they, get, when they become adults and they have their own kids, that's when the penny starts to drop. So you've got to give it 20 years or so. You know what I mean? I hug my mom now and I'm mom, I love you so much and I thank you for those days of discipline. Them, that stuff kept me out of prison as a youth. You know what I mean? And that was my mum, my dad. Most of you know the story about my real dad, my biological dad. And then thank God for my stepdad who came, but he was present but very absent. My mum had to deal with everything, kind of like discipline and all of that. And I'm saying, you know what? Discipline is actually a blessing. And it's something, as you become more mature, you get to appreciate. You know what I mean? And God is a good father. And he disciplines us not because he gets a kick out of because he loved us <clears throat> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna end there join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality